The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. pleased to present This Is Catholicism, free of charge to our listeners by the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission, who hope that listeners will spare a prayer or two for vocations and the growth of the one true church in Australia. And now we present This Is Catholicism. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to This Is Catholicism on the Restoration Radio Network. I'm your host, Father Herman Fleece, and I am joined by Father Desposito, Professor at Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Father, thank you for joining us. Hello. This is Catholicism. The Catechism Show will be using the text A Complete Catechism of the Catholic Religion by Father Joseph de Harbe, S.J. The text is in the public domain and it's, it's available online as a PDF. Used copies can still be found and purchased and reprint versions are also available. Father, today we're going to cover two points on the three divine persons and on the creation and government of the world. Let us start then with question 33, or rather the article, I believe in God the Father. Question 33, why do we say I believe in God the Father. Uh, well, first of all, uh, in order to signify that God is the principle and cause of of our being, so uh, and He's uh, and He's a Father. He's not a distant God, but a Father. That's the first meaning. And secondly, uh, because as we are going to see, there are in God more than one person, and one of the persons is the Father. Okay, so that leads us to the second question of today, question 34. How many persons are then in God? Well, there are three persons, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Question 35 is, is each one of the three persons God? Yes, um, each one is God, and... Uh, there is no difference uh, between them. There is no superiority or inferiority, as we're going to see in other questions. Uh, all of the three persons are God in the same uh, manner. So God is one and three, one according to substance and three uh, according to persons. And I think that far answers uh, also the next question, uh, which was, why are the three persons but one God, but as Father explained, um, as the book says, they are uh, 
the three persons have the same indivisible nature and substance. Yes, that's correct. And uh, just to point out that the fact that there are three persons, uh, we have to understand that there's one God. So that's one substance. And um, if you remember, no long ago, um, Francis, anti-Pope Francis, said that uh, in God there is only three persons. Only three persons exist. And he named them, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. And uh, there is no such a thing as God's prayer, as he calls it. That's the, a denial of the, um, the one substance in God, the divine uh, substance, which is uh, the divine nature, which is common to the three persons. So, uh, again, I mean, how you can have a so-called Pope ignorant of the catechism. I don't know. So this is just a, uh, just a, a reminder that if you don't have the Catholic faith integrally, you end up uh, denying even the, the most basic uh, questions and articles of our faith. Um, and Father, then the next question is, is any one of these persons older or more powerful than the others? Not at all. And again, because each of the divine persons is God. So uh, if we, there is no distinction uh, uh, except, as the Council of Florence says, um, by the relations of origin opposed to one another. So the fact that the Father is not the Son. Um, the Son is not the Father, the Holy Ghost is neither the, the Father nor the Son. So that's the only distinction that you will find in the Trinity. Everything else uh, is one, uh, and uh, there is no other, other distinction or difference. So the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, they all have the same power, they all have the same goodness, the whole the, the perfection, etc. So um, the, the only distinction that... Uh, there is in, in God is between the three persons. So there, there, there are three divine persons, uh, but that's the only distinction, and all of them are, the three persons are equally God. Good, Father, and I think um, this is, um, in a sense, what is asking the next question, uh, question 38, which is stated thus, is, uh, is there then no distinction at all between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost? And, uh, no, as I said, the, the, yes, the, the, the only distinction, distinction is between the persons. But uh, if we consider the substance in God, there's only one substance, and there, there, is, there are no distinctions. Again, uh, going back to the era of uh, Bergoglio, that he said that the three, only the three persons exist, he, will, uh, he, he seems to be making a, a, a distinction that goes beyond the distinction of the persons, but that each one of the persons has uh, its own um, individual uh, I know, existence, like there are three different gods, that's, that's how you, you can take that, what he's saying, because he denies the unity of nature in the, in the Trinity. So again, it's very important to, to, to understand there is distinction between persons in God, but there is one substance. Very well, Father. And um, uh, will that uh, uh, heresy, will, will it be the heresy of Thritaism? If you take it to in its logical meaning and consequence, yes. Uh, and um, again, how you will apply or how you will um, uh, predicate ignorance 
in uh, in somebody who is supposed to be the pope so that that's impossible so he's uh, uh, definitely guilty of the of the heresy there and the sin of heresy very clear um question 39 is how are the three divine persons distinct from one another well uh, the answer is simple the the, the father uh, is uh, begotten of no one so he is uh, uh, the principle without being principled, uh, that's a little theological, but he's begotten of no one. Uh, he doesn't proceed from another person, so the Father doesn't proceed from any from any anyone, but the Son proceeds from the Father. So he's begotten of the Father. The Holy Ghost uh, proceeds both from the Father and the Son. So the Father and the Son are one principle of the Holy Ghost. So that's important. That's the, the whole, um, the heresy of the... Uh, um, of the Greek Orthodox was in part caused by a misunderstanding of the uh, of the Catholic um, uh, teaching that the, the the Father and the Son are one principle. They understood the possession of the Holy Ghost as taught by the Latins as two principles, and that of course will be wrong. This one, they both two, the two persons, the Son, the the Father and the Son are one principle of procession of the Holy Ghost. So, and that's again the uh, how the, the, the Holy Ghost is distinct from the other two persons. He proceeds from the Father and the Son. Therefore, cannot be the Father, cannot be the Son. So the, there is a distinction there based on the opposition of relation. Good, Father. And uh, we uh, just spoke about the processions, and that can lead, if misunderstood, to an error which uh, is dealt in uh, the next question. But if the Son is begotten of the Father and the Holy Ghost proceeds from both, why then is none of the divine persons older than the others? By what we said before, that all of them, all of the, the, the three persons, are God. So God is eternal, so there's no... Uh, beginner or end or superiority of, of time. Uh, so all of them are eternal. And the processions happen from all eternity. So there's not a, like a beginning. It's not that at one point in time there was the Father and afterwards he uh, begot the Son and afterwards... No, the, everything, all the three the, the two processions happened uh, from all eternity. So um, the uh, you, you may say the order there is there an order of procession, but then it's not an, an order of time. So there's a difference there. Uh, Father, if somebody were to say to you, uh, this is a little difficult to understand for me, Father, what would be your answer to that? Well, that is, um, there's no, um, I would say, that's normal because this is a mystery and we know about the mystery because of Revelation. And... To understand a mist, in order to understand a mystery of faith like this one, you will have to have an infinite uh, intellect. You have to be God, basically. So yes, to understand this is impossible. The only thing we can do is to um, see what we do here in the seminary to study in the the treatise on the Trinity and and to to try to see there is study there is no contradiction in the mystery uh, and that. Mm, um, for example, that it is possible that the, there are more than one person 
in one substance, in one nature, etc., things like that. And we see that um, uh, the philosophy behind the uh, the, the the different the aspects or, or the words that are used in the Trinity, the word person, what it means philosophically, the word nature, what it means philosophically. And that's the only thing we can do, take those things and analyze them. But how to to conceive of a eternal being that at the same time is is one and three, that's that's not able to to be done for us uh, by us. Um, so again, there are no, there is no superiority between the different persons. And uh, the question forty-one is: Is why the father uh, is called first if there is no time, and the son is called second, and the Holy Ghost is called third? Is because of the processions. So the uh, we said before, the father doesn't proceed from any other person, so he's called first. The son proceeds from the father; he's called second. And the Holy Ghost proceeds from uh, the Father and the Son as one principle, and therefore he's called third. Again, uh, to stretch the, the, the point, the fact that um, the, this is not first, second, and third according to time. All of the processions happen uh, from all eternity, so there is no the question of time. Um, time, actually, is the measurement of motion and motion uh, means that there, there is a, a body this matter that is being moved from point a to point b so um, of course god is not a material being and so we cannot uh, speak of god uh, uh, with reference to time i mean there, he existed before time actually existed so uh, time only began existing when God created the world, the material world, and you have to measure movement when you have material beings, and there, and there you have time. Uh, but uh, the, the processions happen before the creation of the world. They are eternal. Good. Father, question 42. Uh, what works are principally attributed to each of the three divine persons? Well, the... We are speaking about attribution here because um, in when God creates the that's a, it's called an act an act at the extra. There is all of the things that God does outside of Himself are done are done by the three divine persons at once. So it's not that uh, in um, that one person will create the other, another person will sanctify, another person will be incarnate. No, um, uh, will be the, 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 the principle of the incarnation. Yes, one person is incarnate, but all of the three persons actually uh, produce that effect. The, nevertheless, even though all of the works at extra outside of God are done by God as one, Nevertheless, we, in order for us to understand better things, and it's all for our sake, and because we are uh, so, uh, say, so finite and so imperfect in our um, uh, way of understanding things, we need to attribute things to each of the persons. So, uh, to the Father, um, to the person, the Father who attributes uh, omnipotence and the creation of the world. So the, the creation of the universe, we said the Father created the universe. 
all of the three persons, again, created the universe. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, They, all of them, as God, as one God, created the universe. But we attribute that thing, that uh, action, um, to the Father, to the Son. We attribute wisdom and the, the, everything that has to, to do with, um, with the, the redemption, of course, for obvious reasons that was the second person of the Trinity that became incarnate and redeemed us. So we attribute the redemption to the second person. Uh, and with regard to wisdom, this has to do with the, um, the fact that the, the manner in which theologians explain the procession of the Son is by way of intellection. So it's, uh, um, it's called the psychological theory. With, it's a little complicated, but just it's an analogy drawn by the way we know things that we form a mental world in our intellects and the the the, the fact that um and also the manner in which we we love things uh by drawing ourselves to, towards the the object loved theologians apply that especially the first one was saint saint augustine apply that to by analogy to god and they say that the father had an an intellectual um um so like an idea from all eternity his divine wisdom and that's the son and the the love that uh, uh came from that from that uh, the 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 son being begotten as an as an eternal wisdom that's the holy ghost so again that's a way of explaining theologically the mystery it's not a way to understand the mystery which is impossible but uh, that's that's the reason why we attribute wisdom to the second person and not to the third. We attribute love to the Holy Ghost um, because of what I just said. The Holy Ghost is, is love and also uh, is attributed to the Holy Ghost sanctification. So, um, uh, for example, when we receive the sanctifying grace, that we have the the inhabitation of the three divine persons. But when when we speak about that in a sermon, for example, we say the Holy Ghost uh, inhabits the soul. And we do, many times we just speak about the Holy Ghost and that's the principle of our sanctification. Again, it's not because only the Holy Ghost comes to our souls, but it is because it is attributed to him this specific action. Um, uh, and why we attribute that to him? Because in the Trinity, in the eternal processions, he has that uh, he, he proceeds out of, um, or, or it's called the procession of love. So therefore, um, so that everything that belongs to love and, and, and love and holiness will be attributed to the Holy Ghost. Uh, again, and that's the Catechism itself says, although these works, all of the, the one that we just mentioned, are common to all three persons. So that's important to keep in mind. Again, attribution is only for our way of understanding things, but anything that God does outside of himself is done by all of the three persons. Very good. I'm going to next question, question 43. What do we call the mystery of one God in three persons? Well, that's the mystery of the blessed, uh, the most blessed Trinity. Next question is, can we comprehend this mystery? I know we spoke 
a little about that, but uh, would you like to add something to that, Father? Well, there's a funny thing uh, that happened to Bishop Fulton Sheen when he was uh, preaching on the Feast of the Holy Trinity. Uh, some lady came afterwards after the sermon to him and said, Father, you have explained this so perfectly, so wonderfully. Now I understand the Trinity. And Bishop Sheen answered, mm, if you understand the Trinity, I think that, that means that I haven't I haven't explained it well because it's a mystery of faith. You cannot understand it. So that's uh, that's a uh, just an anecdote. But um, again, we cannot understand any of the mysteries of our faith because that's the whole point of being a mystery. It uh, it goes beyond a, any created intellect. Um, but uh, again, what we can do as we are doing here is just to to go through the things that had been revealed by God. So these things ha cannot be known by natural reason and cannot be understood, not even after revelation. That's the error of the semi-rationalists. They said uh, that, uh, yes, we cannot comprehend those mysteries uh, because they, they are divine and, and, and they are um, only God can know them. But once God uh, reveals them, uh, we can understand them and we can explain them. So th that's semi-rationalism. That's a heresy. So not even after the revelation of the mystery, we are able to understand them, so comprehend them. So only we can just uh, believe in them. And as I said, when you study in sacred theology, uh, you study the different notions, philosophical notions, in order to have, a, I would say, a, a little, a, a more uh, deeper um I would say, a deeper understanding, not of the mystery itself, but of the different things that uh, help us uh, uh, know, penetrate uh, the things of the, the, the basic things of the, of, the, um, of the catechism. So, and also to, we study a lot of the heresies that has, have uh, come in, in the history of the, of the church, many Trinitarian heresies, so, so that's basically what we do in, in, in the treatise on the Trinity. So, and because of the that the mystery is not able to be understood, I see. I think that's part of the reason why there are so many heresies. Um, people trying to understand, and that's always the the problem. Even with not only with regard to the mystery of the Trinity, with regard to the mystery of grace and salvation and sanctification, you have. Uh, many heresies because people try to understand how God can save someone uh, and at the same time preserving uh, human liberty. So again, that's a mystery. We don't know how that happens. We, we, the only thing we can do is to prove that we remain, remain free because God will never violate that. And we can prove that the God saves us. So those two different things, that God is the principle of our salvation and anything good proceeds from him, and that at the same time, we still are free. Again, how those two things are reconciled is a mystery. So just to give you an example that um, we cannot, we can go to a certain point in, in, in uh, with regard to the mysteries, but we have to stop at the one and, and be humble and just believe in the mystery. Um, for uh, the last question on this section, in this section is 45. Is the doctrine of the Most Holy Trinity also important to us? 
yes, of course. Uh, is um, according to Saint Thomas, the there um, after the the incarnation, uh, we are supposed to believe not only that God is a creator and a remunerator, those the the real basic things, but also we have to have an explicit faith um, in the incarnation and the Trinity. So uh, the, those things are necessary for salvation. So if somebody, if you are ignorant, of course, of those things, and not through your own fault, you have the, all of the uh, uh, the different conditions that apply to invincible ignorance. But uh, without talking about that, and and, and just uh, independently of that. According to St. Thomas, you have to believe in those four things, at least in the, the God as a creator, God as a remunerator, God as uh, I mean, the incarnation and the Trinity. So, yes, it's important, it's essential uh, for our salvation to believe in the Trinity. So, um, and of course, uh, not only to, to believe, but to have a, a, a real devotion to the Trinity and and to thank God because He has uh, He has shown us something that we cannot know by ourselves. I mean, He has been so merciful in giving us this knowledge, this knowledge of Himself that He uh, again that He communicates freely to us, and we do not deserve it, and we should be really grateful for that. Very good. So I think we can um, pass to the second, to the next part on the creation and government of the world, and we will see uh, the article uh, "Creator of Heaven and Earth." Question forty-six: Why is God called Creator of Heaven and Earth? He's called uh, Creator of Heaven and Earth because he has um, made us out of nothing. So before creation, there was only God, as we said, and he decided to communicate, to share his goodness with us, and he created the universe. So he's the, the principle, the cause of everything that exists. And that's the reason why we call him uh, the creator of heaven and earth, Good. Um, Father, even uh, matter had a beginning in time? Yes. We cannot know that. Uh, out. Uh, I mean, we need revelation to know that because St. Thomas says that it is possible for God to create uh, in eternity. That is, that uh, create in a way that we cannot trace like a point, like a beginning, that in his eternity, he's able to uh, create without actually an actual beginning, but actually that didn't happen. So don't worry too much about that because we know by revelation that there was a beginning. So in the beginning, God created heaven and earth, etc. So there was a beginning. But it's uh, interesting to, to to know that it is not metaphysically impossible. That is entirely impossible uh, to for God to create uh, in eternity or from eternity. So. Um, so. The uh, next question, uh, 47. How has God created the whole world? 
by and the simple answer by his omnipotence or almighty uh, will. And this again was revealed to us. So he created because he wanted to create. Good. And then the next question is, did God create the world because he needed it? Uh, that's absolutely not. And this is important today. Uh, I would say the reason is because there is so, so much emphasis in God's goodness and in the principle that the uh, goodness is diffusive of itself. That's a good principle and it's a philosophical principle that, they, uh, that is absolutely true. The problem is that uh, because of the misapplication of that principle, that goodness is diffusive of itself, uh, there are some who say that God uh, needed to create, that creation was necessary. So uh, that he's so good that he, it's necessary for him to share his goodness. Uh, one of the proponents of that error is uh, Joseph Ratzinger. So that's why he says, it's at least important to to know that one of the, his many errors is to uh, believe that God uh, was in need of creating or that, that the universe was necessary uh, because of that principle that goodness is diffusive for itself. But no, the answer is that no, God was already uh, in, uh, say, absolutely happy uh, in himself. He had all the perfections, possible perfections. Again, he's God. Uh, he didn't need anything outside of himself in order to make him happier, let's say. So uh, the reason why he creates is not because he needs to create. No, because he needs anything, but because he wanted to share, share uh, his perfections with someone who is not himself. So basically that's why he creates, out of goodness, uh, but not out of necessity. So he, the creation is absolutely uh, a free act on the part of God. Question 49 is, if God needs nothing besides himself, why did he create other beings? Well, we already answered that, but uh, again, it's because of he's so good that uh, he dis had a, this this uh, desire to give uh, this goodness to other beings or to, to creatures, basically. So, uh, again, uh, that's most uh, most manifested or the, the, the best manifested in the creation of intellectual beings that are able are capable of knowing uh, about this. Um, uh, about God and about this uh, this uh, sharing of God's perfection. So, like the cat or, or any animal, the dog, I mean, they they have been created for for God's glory, etc. By God, but they are not able, since they don't have intellects, they are not able to understand and to know uh, that they have been created and that they are the objects of uh, God's. Uh, goodness, um, but intellectual creatures like angels and men are able to recognize this, so to be aware of his mercy. So we have, of course, a special responsibility and a special um, vocation, you may say, to recognize this and, and to always be thankful because 
we without God creating us, we would not exist. So just try to think about that non-existence. Uh, so God is so merciful that he didn't need to create us, and he did. And God has a, like a personal love for each, each of the individuals that he creates. So each one of us should be thankful that, that we exist. Good. And going to the next question, uh, number 50. Did then God create the world for his creatures? No. The, when God, anything that God does is for himself. Uh, this is not egotism or anything like that. It is because he cannot do some, uh, he cannot wish anything for, uh, for, other, for another person, I mean, for another being, because he is, he is perfect himself. And anything that is done by God is for himself. So, um, the, let's see, uh, this is, again, applying to today's many errors uh, concerning the world, the universe, ecology, etc. Uh, God created the, the whole universe for himself, for his own glory, uh, in order to, you may say, please himself. So, even the the animals the world everything that that exists us everything is for his own glory so something to to keep in mind because and to understand uh, yes god is merciful he wants to share his goodness with us but uh all everything that he has created is for himself for his own glory for his own excellence, for his own honor, nor for us. Again, he and he's very zealous about that. Uh, he he doesn't want to to share, let's say, the glory that only belongs to 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 himself, to God. So, the only manner that in which we can uh, be uh, perfect and accomplish his divine will is by understanding this principle that first is God in everything. So in the law, for example, there, is, there are laws that concern um, the civil laws that concern human beings. And if there is a law that is promulgated by like a government that is against a law or a divine law, of course, we have to prefer the divine law because that's uh, that. That gives glory to God, basically, and obedience to God comes first. So uh, anything else has to be subordinated to God. And you say, oh, well, but why? And this, the reason is very simple, because he's God. He is the Lord. He is the, the, uh, uh, the creator. So imagine that you uh, somebody uh, makes something like a, creates, I don't know, like a robot, and the robot says, no, now I want to be independent and I want to absolutely do whatever I want and even, uh, I don't know, destroy my creator or go against what my creator wanted for, for me. So that's a disorder because the, the thing will not even exist without the creator, without the, the, um, the person making it. So the same thing is God. God creates someone. Uh, either the universe, something, or someone as a, a person, and he expects that uh, creature to follow the to follow his the goal or, or end 
for which it was is created. So the whole universe has one reason of being, and that's to give more glory to God. So God creates for his own glory. Uh, we exist for the glory of God. Uh, so that's, again, something to always keep in mind. Very well. Uh, number 51 uh, is, what does God still do that the world which he has created may not return into its original nothing? Well, basically, he preserves the world existing. So keep he keeps the whole universe going, let's say, to speak plain, uh, um, plain English, and he governs it. So, so there are uh, the, the laws of nature. Uh, and again, all that depends on, on God. And so that's... He he no he didn't create the world and abandoned the world or the universe, but he still preserves the the world, the whole universe, and he is still he he's the the the, the ruler of the whole universe. So nothing ex escapes his government, nothing es escapes his power. And Father, um, when we see the uh, the beautiful and wise order of of the world or the universe, even of uh, the planets and nature, uh, would that be a sign of uh, this uh, governing of it by God? Yes, of course. And uh, if that were not true, things will, uh, I mean, chance will be, everything will be chaos. So the, the fact that the even that the sun rises every day, that's God doing that. And uh, making sure that, that the, the the loss of the astronomical bodies, etc., they they all continue uh, doing the, what they are supposed to do, etc. So it's, that's that's part of of the this continuation of God's. Uh, once God cre creates the universe, He continues to uh, basically take care of it. Good. Um... Next question is number 52. How does God preserve the world? Well, this is uh, almost like a continuation of the other que the, the previous question that he is the same power, the power that only God has, the power to create out of nothing, uh, the same power, infinite, uh, he uses in order to preserve the universe in existence to continue um, and there will be a point a, po a, a time in which this world will end and there will be will be renewed so in the in the, in the answer in the catechism says that uh, as long as he pleases so um, there will be and uh, we know this by revelation there will be a point in in, uh, in in which the whole universe will be renewed and there will be a judgment and the those who are in the number of the elect will uh, will get back their bodies in a glorious glorious manner and they will inhabit this planet but renewed a new world and interesting is that saint thomas says that there will be no after this universe is renewed or this this world is renewed there will be no animals according to him no plants so that's just uh, something uh, I would say. Think about that. Why Bergoglio, why Francis has a whole encyclical about the ecology? 
I, I, I don't understand even be even if you con if you consider the uh, uh, this basic basic um, fact that all of this world is going to end one day, and whenever God wants, and we can do all of the recycling and protecting uh, dangerous species. I mean, all of that doesn't have any importance in the in the broader picture of the resurrection and of the renewal of the world in which according to saint thomas there will not even be animals and plants so i would say not to say that we have to abuse and and uh, make extinct all the animals and and, and pollute the uh, uh the air no no not to say that but just to 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 have so much um uh of an um i know uh, almost like an obsession obsession yes obsession with the ecology and to and to preserve this world and to uh, take care of the of 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 the different things yes to the point that you cannot even build a bridge because it will kill whatever the ants or something I mean, that that's that's irrational and again that it seems to ignore many of the things that we know about Revelation, that things are going to happen, and very soon, actually. Our Lord says, I am coming soon. So uh, so it seems that um, there is a like a different agenda in, in the, all this ecology and New Age thing that is almost like a denial of the whole Revelation uh, of the things that are going to happen. So almost like saying, no, don't don't look at that. Uh, the uh, the revelation of the um, the resurrection of the world is going to be renewed, but this world is going to last for many many millions of years, and we have to take care of it and make sure that many uh, all these the the new generations have this uh, the world I mean all the universe without um, with contamination etc. So it's like almost a naturalistic. Uh, and anti-revelation kind of mentality. So if you think, uh, see things supernaturally, uh, the first thing you have to consider here is your soul. Uh, and the the body and the things of the body and of the universe and the world, etc., those things, even though they may be important, they are secondary. So if you, I, I haven't seen an encyclical of, of Francis saying that we have to save our souls and we have to avoid sin, which is basic. Uh, but there is an encyclical saying that we have to recycle. So the, the whole thing is, is very absurd. And again, as I said, it's like an agenda that's not Catholic and it's against, it's against Revelation, I think. Good. Um, question 53 um, is similar, but is uh, how does God govern the world? So um, basically, taking care of of the universe, ordering everything uh, according to different laws, natural laws uh, that that is according to wisdom, to his uh, to his wisdom. So uh, again, many of the new philosophical errors of evolution and chance that you can have uh, things like that that go against this principle that God has ways of uh, doing things and according according to his wisdom 
that you cannot explain or there are contrary to to the things that that those who believe in evolution are trying to say um so there's nothing that happened by chance there's no chance with regard to god god knows everything and orders all things so to believe in like uh, uh many of those new theories of the big bang and things like that that they are again are against revelation and against the divine the ordering of things on the part of god and you many listeners may see, uh, may think oh this is obvious but uh, for example john paul ii uh who's according to to the nose ordites considered a saint <laughs> uh he said that the Big Bang theory was like a good thing, and that we have to basically he he accepted that doctrine. So uh, no, there's not such a thing as, as the Big Bang. So the there's a creation ex nihilo from nothing, and God orders all things. There's not such a thing as evolution, but God created all the all the things that you see: animals, plants, men. Um, uh, so without any um any instrument or any 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 anything that that got that the the evolutionist wants to to say so very well the next number is uh, 54 what do we call this supreme care of god in preserving and governing the world the na the name we gi we give to that is divine providence which is pretty much denied uh, today um by many, several reasons but the one of the reasons is the the error of de deism um which means that god creates the universe and after he basically forgets about it or he doesn't uh, he just leave it by, to itself and uh so that is no such a thing as divine providence no god again he creates the universe and takes care of it he there are Everything that happens, I mean, God, God is there behind it, uh, making sure that all the things that happen are for um, for a reason and for the good of the elect. So basically, uh, the many of the things that happen in the in the world and, and to us, and especially we were, we're going to see the next questions that the problems and suffering, all of the things are ordered by God, by His providence. For the good of us, for for the good of the the elect, and for the good of uh, of the of of the intellectual creature. So it's not that God forgets about us. He is really, I mean, I'm very concerned and perfectly concerned. He's God, and he he's able to be concerned about each one of us personally, um, without any. Uh, for example, if we as humans we concern ourselves about somebody or some something uh and we put all of our uh, say our time and our our um, <clears throat> strength in that uh we cannot do that for for many objects so either we are going to have care for one person or for uh, and and basically that's that but god being infinite and perfect he can take care of all of the details of what happens to each one of us personally so even 
if you believe or how God can uh, can take care of all things in the universe of uh, the animals of the plants of this and that and also of us and of everything that happens to me every single second of the day yes he is the only one who can do that because he's God and he does it again the principle here is that God when God creates he doesn't abandon his creation he doesn't abandon his um the uh, the uh, the beings that he has given existence to so. question 55 is but if god orders and directs all things in the world why then is there so much evil done does he will it no the answer is not god um doesn't will evil he only permits evil this is um a question that comes up a lot and it was um somebody asked asked um <clears throat> francis about this and he said i don't know why evil exists uh either he doesn't know his catechism or he knows it but he doesn't want to teach it in any event uh, in any case is i mean very wrong um because this question is important evil exists because uh god permits it in order to draw a greater good out of it if it's if from an evil uh, were not a greater good uh, uh to proceed from it god will never permit it so each time you you see any evil for example a war sickness um injustice uh, suffering in general anything um there is always a reason so many times we do not know the reason and uh, but that doesn't mean that there is not a reason and god in his providence uh, permits all evils to happen to draw a greater good um the the catechism gives the the the, the example of uh, of the old testament of uh, joseph that uh, in egypt he was sold by his brothers and he uh saw a terrible thing he was sold as a slave and uh, uh his father thought he was dead and so but how the story ended uh that the whole all his brother his family Uh, was saved from starvation in a, in a famine uh, and uh, e uh, Joseph became basically the ruler of Egypt and so that would have never happened if Joseph was not sold uh, by his brothers out of envy so it was a sin but God permitted the sin and the, the evil things that happened to Joseph uh, because God knew that a greater good was going to happen so that that's the, the the principle so again most i would say most of the times we are ignorant of what kind of greater good is going to happen for example uh i mean if you you're diagnosed with uh, cancer and you're young and you th so how that I mean, what good can come from that so most of the time is god will is going to permit that uh in order that you 
start thinking about the next life and prepare yourself for the next life. If you didn't have that uh, terrible illness, perhaps you will never think about death. You will never think about the spiritual life. You will never prepare yourself for the next life. So that, that's just a little example. And that happens quite a bit. That all the, all the problems, um, again, God actually is a, is, a, is a mercy of God, that God permits them. And uh, another thing to consider here is that man is not innocent. So if we suffer, it is because uh, of sin. And we are this punishment because of sin, because of sin. And when we disobey the law of God, and we disobey that from the beginning in the sin of Adam, and also because in our actual sins, uh, we have to repair that the damage done to the divine majesty, the divine uh, glory. Uh, we have taken away from the extrinsic glory of God. He, God cannot. Uh, be deprived of his essential glory, but if we commit a sin, we deprive him of, of some a certain external extrinsic glory, and that needs to be repaired. So again, that's another reason why you have evil in order for us to uh, repair the 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 damage we have caused um, with our sins. Question 56, and if God takes care of all things, why are we subject to so many sufferings? Again, this um, is all for the sake of those um, who, without suffering, will, will never uh, be able to repair their, their sins. So it says here that the sinner, by his sufferings, may acknowledge the chastisement of God and be moved to conversion, to repentance. So um, uh, if the sinner is left in his sin and there is no, like, no chastisement on this earth or there's nothing, everything is wonderful in his life and even um, uh, there is... I would say he's happy on, on his life. Again, he will never think of the next life and he will end up in hell. But if God uh, punishes him in his life by whatever suffering or something that happens to him, uh, the person may start thinking about uh, his sin and about the necessity of his uh, of, do, of doing uh, the penance for the sin. Also, that, that's with regard to sinners. Also, with regard to those who are uh, just, that is, those who are in the state of grace, God, God also may permit uh, suffering uh, on them in order that they become uh, more perfect, so more purified, more uh, holy, uh, holier. The, and that's, you see that in the life of the saints, uh, that many uh, of the tribulations they have to undergo uh, were in order, I mean, after the tribulation, they, they were, uh, at the end, they were much more perfect than before. So there's many, many different purifications that happen 
and uh, and those who are again those are holy people or the the just or those in the state of of grace that have a, a solid uh, spiritual life etc they may receive uh, many or say negative things in their lives or suffering or pain but they are going to use it well like uh, think of the example uh, of the old testament in the uh, uh, holy uh, holy job so he he was a just person but ma- many bad things happened to him uh, and he used all of those things in order to become holier also was like a test of his virtue and he passed the test as we know the question 57 but why does God often permit the wicked to prosper whilst evil befalls the good? Well, it may be for a couple of reasons. <clears throat> um, first, it says, uh, and this is just read the catechism itself, because he, wi- he will not only deter the sinner from his evil ways by punishment, but will also win him by benefits so that may be <clears throat> that uh, some uh, the sinner uh, notices that even though he's a sinner God still is uh, giving him many uh, benefits and goods so the person may think okay I am I have been very ungrateful and I have to um, I have to convert and I have to stop sinning because God is so good with me that's one 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 reason why they they prosper. Another reason is because only uh, the punishment for sin only belongs to God. So if um, <clears throat> somebody is a sinner, a wicked person, and he has a lot of prosperity and and you may say worldly happiness and joy. Uh, then there'll be a sign that God is reserving the punishment for the next life. So that will be, I would say, that's a bad sign that God is just waiting for the time of punishment. Uh, <clears throat> the same thing <clears throat> applied to the good. Many of the, the good people and those who do their best to please God and follow the, the law may be subject to many sufferings in this life, and God may permit that because He's reserving um, plenty of happiness uh, in the next life, not in this life, but in the next. So that's another thing that we have to understand with regard to poverty, with regard to suffering, with regard to uh, sicknesses, etc. That all of that is is uh, God knows why He permits that. Somebody may be poor his whole life and work very hard and and uh, never have I mean enough and uh, but he was deprived of, of of those things in this life because God was reserving a great uh, <clears throat> treasure for him in heaven. So we, when we look at poverty like like that, it makes sense um, that God per, will permit poverty again. That's against the socialistic. Marxist view that uh, anti-Pope Francis has that he wants to suppress poverty and to suppress uh, suffering as much as possible because he doesn't believe in the divine providence of God and the divine providence and he doesn't believe 
that God is able to turn all of that of that uh, privation of the poor and the suffering into something much much better that is heaven. So uh, actually, uh, making sure that the poor become rich, or at least that they 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 cease to be poor, and they that you try to give them as much temporal happiness as possible, etc., may go against uh, the things that God had ordered in His divine providence. Again, not to say that poverty uh, is, is not a, a bad thing in itself. I mean, it's uh, no, but what I'm saying is that if God permits certain people not to have, not even, I mean, many times enough for uh, daily sustenance, uh, God may may be reserving uh, many of the of, of the of the gifts for the next life, not for this life. So <clears throat> that's one thing. Um, and if you consider that the saints, uh, all, all of them wanted to be poor, and they even the, the, the vows, um, the three councils, one of them being poverty, that you embrace voluntary poverty in order to uh, be more free in the service of God, and in order to really prepare yourself for the riches of the next life. So you, you can see that if you are born in poverty, uh, you, in a way that's even more meritorious than being rich and going to a monastery and becoming poor. Why? Because by being poor uh, in <clears throat> from birth, that's something that, that you didn't actually uh, choose. So embracing that state and being... Um, obedient to whatever God wants to do with you and in his divine providence is very, very meritorious to embrace that. So, uh, again, a true pope, a true pope will teach that. He will say, if you are poor, uh, you have the consolation that uh, God is going to give you uh, riches in the next life, and also that the, even if you're poor, he's going to take care of you. You will never um, <clears throat> be left uh, in 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 need. Uh, you are always going to have the necessary things. Our Lord said, I mean, they, they, that's divine providence. Even the birds, and they don't worry about how food is going to come to them, uh, how they're going to get the necess- necessary things of life. Uh, so the things that has to be the mentality of somebody who is poor has to trust in God in divine providence. Nothing that of the necessary things will be lacking because God has promised. So God is is merciful. Good. Um, next question fifty eight, which I I think is the last. Yes, it's last of today. How ought we to receive the sufferings that come upon us? Well, and this is important. The we have to receive suffering as a grace, as a grace of God. So, as something good, as a blessing. This is against nature. So, it's against our natural feelings, you might say. Um, uh, but we have to convince ourselves intellectually that that's actually the case. So, anything that happens to us uh, like that, like suffering or a tribulation or a problem, is actually a blessing. That is, God wants us to be more perfect. 
God wants us to go to him and ask for help and ask for um, the uh, what we need in order to undergo the different uh, sufferings, etc. All of that is a grace. And, and <clears throat> you see that clearly in the saints, that if they ask for something, when, when they pray, they always ask to, to suffer. So to suffer... Uh, there was a saint that said either to suffer or to die. So that's where his uh, his choices. They they understood the value of suffering. So that's very important. So the um, if you you suffer, any all of us have to suffer, uh, but some of us suffer more than others. So God may send a greater tribulation to one person and a lesser tribulation to another. The one who receives the greater suffering is the the most, uh, I would say, blessed of, of of them. So the you have to have that heart to receive that not only with resignation, like okay, this is the will of God, and I will. No, it has to be with the embracing the cross with, uh, even with joy. At least that should be our goal. Not easy in the beginning, but that has to be the goal. The uh, the Christian spirituality how to. To embrace suffering, it's a blessing, and this and this is actually uh, a real thing. So it's not only something to make people who suffer feel good. Oh, this is a ble- no. This is actually it's an actual blessing, and we have to understand and convince ourselves and try to. Um, if our nature doesn't, of course, is a is going to react against any kind of suffering. At least our intellects and uh, have to be convinced of that and our wills should love and strive to love more and more those uh, different problems and pains and sufferings that happen to us again because um, it is for our good we may be in need of purification uh, we may need uh, penance for our sins uh, or just to, to become more perfect for whatever reason God has chosen to send a particular cross to you, uh, embrace it with joy. Well, thank you, Father, for uh, your time and your answers. Um, We came to the conclusion of today's show. Um, Next time we will um, resume from uh, On the Angels, question 59. And um, I thank you, Father, for um, being with us today. My pleasure. And thank you also to our listeners and hope to uh, see you next time. This is Catholicism is a production of the Restoration Radio Network. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to mail at truerestoration.org. We would again wish to thank the generous sponsorship of Australian Catholic Mission. If you have any questions for Father Nicholas Disposito or feedback on this episode, we would love to hear from you. You can contact us at catechism at truerestoration.org and we will pass along your questions or comments to Father Disposito and we would also take this moment to remind you that all correspondence with us is strictly confidential. All of us here at the Restoration Radio Network would ask that if you found the show to be informative, helpful or in any way beneficial to you and to your faith, that you please consider sending a note of thanks to the clergy who help make our network worthwhile. Remember that above and beyond material contributions, the most important donation you can make to our work here is prayer. Please think of offering a mass, a rosary, or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the restoration, I am Matthew Arthur. May God bless you.
This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.